Chapter One of the Subjection of Isabel Carnaby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Subjection of Isabel Carnaby by Ellen Thornycroft Fowler. Chapter One Isabel's Garden. In the drawing-room of a house on the north side of Prince's Gardens, a man and a woman were seated one winter's evening after dinner. It was not a large room, and it was by no means a unique one as far as its original structure was concerned, for it was of the orthodox L-shape which obtained so largely in London drawing-rooms, excepting in those of extremely recent manufacture but there was that indefinable air of comfort and elegance about it which certain women have the power to impart to their dwelling-places it was furnished entirely with green the most satisfactory of all colours for that purpose be the furniture that of an ordinary dwelling-place or of nature's great house not made with hands light green paper of the same hue as beech trees in spring dark green carpet and curtains of the same tint as mossy glades in summer and chairs and couches of as many and as varying shades of green as are woods when the evergreens and the larches are struggling for a majority therefore although it was only the beginning of february spring was already at home in this london drawing-room winter having been kept waiting outside ever since the end of october there were no outlying districts in this room as there are in so many the back drawing-room had not been converted as it usually is into a sort of court of the gentiles where outsiders congregate on uncomfortable chairs round an unused piano but was in its own way as much honoured and esteemed as the front drawing-room and was considered quite as respectable a place of residence as for the occupants of this pleasant room the man somewhere about forty years of age was tall and dark thin and thoughtful-looking the type of man who takes life and himself seriously and who finds his sole recreation in hard work the woman was cast altogether in a different mould she had the rounded plumpness which is inseparable from a light-hearted and easy-going disposition and the years whereof she boasted one or two less than her husband had dealt more tenderly with her than with him she was quick and active in all her movements but it was the activity of boundless energy rather than of feverish unrest her dark hair showed no trace of grey save to her own all-seeing vision and her eyes were as bright and blue as they had been when she was a girl they saw further now than they did then perhaps but their perceptions though more acute were less critical than in the old days although she lived in an age when domestic misery was the fashion and when happy marriages were as completely out of date as crinolines or paisley shawls she nevertheless loved and admired her husband with all her heart and mind and soul and strength 
otherwise she was as up-to-date and as modern as it is necessary for any woman to be it seems to me she suddenly remarked a propos of her own meditations that single life is like a road and married life is like a garden as how asked her husband looking up from his evening paper which after the manner of men he was devoutly studying well in this way single life is like a road because it is always leading on to something else it isn't meant to be a permanent place of residence and people who make it so are behaving like children of israel or gypsies they ought to fold up their tents a la longfellow's cares and the arabs and silently steal away it is against the rules not to move on paul seaton that was the name of the man in the green drawing-room smiled with that indulgent kind of smile which husbands are wont to use when they think their wives are talking nonsense and like them all the better for it you seem to consider single life a somewhat chilly and uncomfortable sort of business he remarked on the contrary i think there is a lot to be said for it in its own way of course it isn't as cosy and settled and living on your own property-ish as marriage you must see that for yourself but it is more exciting because it is always the way to somewhere else and you are never quite sure where the next turn of the road will take you it is not only a road it is a road where all the finger-posts are pure guesswork but the milestones are not mrs seaton sighed no worse luck the milestones are dreadfully pronounced and staring before you are married and are always coming to meet you and then hitting you in the face after you are married they seem to get a bit moss-grown and you don't notice them nearly so much yes the portentous ominousness of the milestones is one of the greatest disadvantages of single life but this has its advantages all the same what else in addition to the mystery hidden round the next corner oh the delicious stranger and sojourner feeling that things are more or less temporary and so don't matter you can put up with lots of little inconveniences in a wayside inn that you couldn't tolerate for a moment in your own house it is really the picnic instinct that imbues you as long as you are single the same instinct that causes water boiled out of doors on a fire of your own lighting to make so much nicer tea than water boiled in the kitchen kettle but i don't think it does isabel shook her head reprovingly that is because you are getting old and have got married and the domestic instinct in your character has crowded out the picnic instinct seaton laughed but he listened he was one of those rare men or is it rather the husbands of the rare women who find the conversation of their wives more interesting than the newspaper you see mrs seaton continued i married late enough to know what both single and married life are like so i can speak as an expert in both still the fact that you knew nothing about either wouldn't have prevented you from doing that retorted her husband dryly oh paul how rude you are and just when i am talking so nicely and intelligently to you too 
intelligently i admit but hardly nicely you are now cutting me to the heart with your insinuations that when single life is bliss tis folly to be married you cannot expect your loving husband exactly to relish these panegyrics on single blessedness they aren't panegyrics they are merely statistics just to teach you the difference between being married and single good heavens i don't want teaching that i know it only too well by experience and paul seaton laughed the contented laugh of the man who has attained his heart's desire but i wish you'd say something now on the other side something in favour of the holy estate don't you know this present attitude of mind is really most depressing to me i'm going to only you are always in such a hurry to express your own opinions that you never give me time to get a word in edgeways excuse me my love i have never yet expressed my own opinion upon matrimony i should consider it impolite to do so in present company the lady tried not to laugh but failed the affection between paul seaton and his wife was so great and the camaraderie so perfect that they could afford to make fun of each other now and then but they took care never to do so before a third person it is a mistake for husbands and wives to chaff each other in the presence of an audience brothers and sisters can do so much as they like and as a rule the more they do it the fonder of each other they are but with married people it is different they have the dignity of an office to maintain the sanctity of a covenant to keep and it does not do for them to treat such things lightly when the eye of europe is upon them it is only when they are en tete-a-tete -tete that they may safely unbend and may confess to themselves and to each other that there is a great deal that is very funny in both of them which undoubtedly there is whoever they may be after all admitted isabel although there is a certain amount of very nice excitement in living on a road which leads to nobody knows where it is the sort of excitement that palls after a time people get tired of not knowing what is going to happen next that is why hardly anybody really enjoys a story that comes out in a serial ordinary human nature likes to be in a position to peep at the end whenever it thinks fit hence the popularity of palmists and fortune-tellers and crystal balls i understand and it is when the road becomes too vague and unsettled that the garden comes in precisely and the garden is all that the road is not and never can be peaceful and guarded and final and secure and circumscribed added paul yes but i don't know that it is any the worse for that especially for women seaton rose from his chair came across the room to where his wife was sitting and began to stroke her hair his face was grave almost sad he was wondering whether after all isabel was contented with her part of the bargain whether his love was sufficient to compensate her for the gaiety and luxury and excitement she had given up when she married him though they had enough to live upon even when paul was out of office they were by no means rich people compared with the majority of their world they necessarily led a quiet life 
and isabel carnaby had been denied no possible luxury or excitement in the days when she lived with her uncle and aunt sir benjamin and lady farley her life then both out in india when sir benjamin held a governorship and afterwards in london and at elton manor had been one long round of gaiety and pleasure and paul was sometimes afraid that she might find the contrast between the past and the present too great that she was too modern a woman for marriage completely to satisfy her as it had satisfied her grandmother's wherein he showed that for all his love he did not yet entirely understand his wife so the garden is duller than the road he said and his voice had a pathetic ring in it perhaps that is to say it has fewer possibilities and less adventures and it doesn't lead anywhere yes it does whispered isabel nestling up to him it leads home it is home he answered as he stooped and kissed her but all the same i am afraid you find it a little dull at times my darling that's a man all over men never understand how much we say and how little we mean they have no atmosphere in their minds if you remark that you want a bit of fancy work just to keep your fingers employed they think that you are miserable in your marriage and are striving to deaden your anguish by ceaseless toil and if you say you feel as if you couldn't walk another thirty miles or so after hard's day exercise they think you are dying of exhaustion and ought to have an injection of strychnine well i can't help being a man i was born so consequently when you talk about marriage being a, a horrid sort of walled-in kitchen garden i naturally fear that you are finding it dull oh paul you are silly you really are i don't find it an atom dull i adore it but you must see for yourself that a garden is is well a garden is a garden isabel had not intended to finish her sentence thus lamely but experience had taught her that when people are in a sensitive mood the less one says to them the better explanations rarely explain anything therefore wise persons avoid them as much as possible she held her peace for fear of hurting her husband's feelings but she succeeded in doing so nevertheless just so was all he said but he said it in rather an injured tone don't be foolish darling she begged rubbing her cheek against his hand don't you see that when god made man perfectly happy he planted him in a garden and when he wanted to punish him he turned him out to a thorny and thistly highway so there's really nothing unkind to you in my comparing marriage to a garden in fact quite the reverse i see replied paul dryly no you don't whenever you say i see in that particular tone of voice it always means that you see something which isn't there paul smiled in spite of himself well what is all this leading up to i should like to know that's what i'm coming to a garden to be a really nice dressy garden must have things in it don't you see heaps and heaps of things it 
wants a lot more furnishing than a road does as long as the road has good high hedges on either side to keep travellers from going where they ought not to it needn't have flowers or fountains or shrubs or rockeries because people merely regard it as a means to an end and so don't mind if it is a bit sketchy but when you've got a garden of your own and mean to spend the rest of your life there you naturally want to fill it with all sorts of beautiful things isabel paused to take breath but paul did not speak how nice of you to keep quiet and listen she remarked approvingly that is where men are so much more restful to live with than women they let you say what you want to say without eternally trying to poke their own oars in you see she continued other women have children and careers and parishes and school boards and all sorts of things to furnish their gardens and keep them from seeming empty but i haven't unconsciously her voice quivered as she said the word children she did not notice it herself but paul did my poor darling he said and again laid a caressing hand upon the neat brown head isabel thrilled at his touch and in the same breath hoped that he wasn't roughing her hair much she prided herself upon always being a very spick-and-span person i'm not poor at all she retorted i've got you but i don't seem to be large enough for the place somehow that's where the tragedy comes in yes you are you are more than enough if only i could see enough of you but i can't if i could always be with you i should never want anything or anybody else even for five minutes you'd furnish any garden as completely as a cedar tree does but you are so busy with houses of commons and war offices and tiresome old things of that sort that often you haven't time to attend to me and it is then that the garden seems a bit empty my poor darling paul repeated isabel rattled on i can't for the life of me see what any woman can want in addition to a husband if the husband is anything like you and if he is always with her but if she is married to an alibi absentee landlord sort of a person who is always somewhere else than where she is at the time she wants something to fill up the intervals like those funny little street scenes in shakespeare's plays while the scenery is being changed i am afraid i do leave you alone a good bit replied her husband with a sigh but i cannot help it you know that don't you my darling i think you could help it more than you do if only you hadn't such an elephant of a conscience and such a hippopotamus of a sense of duty what on earth's the good of a man's being always at his post when the post happens to be a government office posts can stand still by themselves without wanting anybody to help them it is what they were made for that and deafness and when you say as deaf as a post you mean as deaf as a post in the government because they never listen to suggestions nor hear complaints but that's neither here nor there and isabel pursed up her lips and nodded her head with the air of one who could say a good deal more if she chose well what is the particular new toy that you want just now for the furnishing of your garden asked paul i am certain that you have one in your eye at the present moment 
he knew his isabel right as usual it's a girl an anglo-indian girl seaton fairly jumped isabel rarely succeeded in surprising him or taking him unawares he was pretty well accustomed to her vagaries by now but she did this time a girl good gracious what in the name of fortune do you want with a girl lots of things i want to instruct her and amuse her and entertain her and finally marry her who on earth do you want to marry her to several people you'll find it rather difficult to manage that the present marriage laws being as narrow and antiquated as they are paul don't be silly what i mean is that i've several people in my eye that i think would do for her and i shall let her choose which that is very generous of you my sweet but won't they have a say in the matter oh that's their lookout i can't bother about them who are they i'm not going to tell you please do i'm dying to know but isabel stood firm nothing would induce me to tell you you'd better it would make you feel much more comfortable in your own mind my mind is quite comfortable already thank you if anything too luxurious and it would amuse me immensely now it is always difficult for a woman to refrain from telling her husband anything that she thinks will amuse him in ninety-nine cases out of a hundred it is impossible but this happened to be the hundredth i'm not going to tell you isabel repeated sternly at least not yet paul's eye twinkled he knew that time which reveals all secrets was particularly rapid in revealing isabel's but all he said was then if i may not know the name of the happy man may i know that of the girl oh yes i don't mind telling you that it is fabia vipart and who in the name of all that's wonderful is fabia vipart her father was a major vipart in the indian army and her mother was a hindu at least her grandmother was and they are both dead both her grandmothers do you mean of course not they must have been dead for ages grandmothers nearly always are i mean her parents how very sad for the girl at least presumably so but how did you get to know her isabel i knew her father out in india when i was living there with the farleys he wanted to marry me an oriental custom i suppose and did the hindu lady object oh paul how silly you are he was a widower of course why of course i wasn't aware there was anything especially ephemeral about hindu ladies i said of course because if he hadn't been a widower he wouldn't have wanted to marry me i failed to see the logic of that i wasn't a widower and i wanted to marry you i never knew that you set up for being an emporium of only second-hand goods i dare say if you had been a widower you'd have had more wisdom or perhaps i should say experience than to want to marry me suggested isabel slyly not i my own i should always have been a fool where you were concerned but to return to miss fabia i gather that when you knew major vipart the hindu lady like wordsworth's lucy had ceased to be she's been dead for years and besides as i've explained to you she wasn't a hindu at all her mother was then is miss fabia black good gracious no exclaimed isabel her hair is dark of course but not as black as it is painted probably not many women's aren't 
when i was out in india she was quite a child a cream-coloured child with huge brown eyes she always reminded me of a dress i had of cream satin trimmed with brown velvet it was a very pretty dress and isabel's face grew soft with that tender expression which a woman's face always wears when she is recalling bygone garments that became her well it must have been and the prettiest bit was the lining as our old nurse martha used to say she never said it of my clothes or of joanna's by the way it was generally upon alice martin's wardrobe that this criticism was passed if i remember rightly joanna and i were plain children and it was considered conducive to our eternal salvation to make us believe that we were even plainer than we were which really was an act of supererogation you never were plain paul exclaimed isabel indignantly i won't let anybody say such things of my husband not even you nevertheless it is true sweetheart i was an ugly little beggar in those days and a prig at that but we are wandering from miss fabia her father wanted to marry you you say he was evidently a sensible man whatever her mother may have been her mother couldn't help being a hindu retorted isabel rather huffily it always annoyed her when english people spoke disrespectfully of foreign races but you have just said that she not only could help it but did oh paul i wish you wouldn't quibble in that silly way when i am trying to talk to you seriously it was the grandmother that couldn't help being a hindu and fabia could help it even less and yet people were very horrid to fabia about it and to her father too all right i understand miss fabia's grandmother could no more help being a hindu than her father could help wanting to marry you poor beggar i'm the last man to blame him but now where does the girl come in and what is her connection with the allegory of the marriage market i mean the marriage market garden well you see i've heard through aunt farley who still corresponds with a host of people out in india that fabia is extremely anxious to come to england for a time to see what english society is like so i thought it would be rather nice if i had her here for a few months and trotted her about and showed her round and then instructed and entertained and finally married her to that nameless knight whom you have in your eye now at last i begin to master the programme you wouldn't mind having her here would you darling asked isabel in a coaxing voice i shouldn't mind anything that gave you pleasure my dearest not even a girl though i own i am not very keen upon them as a rule well it would give me a good deal of pleasure to take a young girl about and watch her go through all the phases that i've been through myself it would be such fun teaching her all the things that i've learnt by experience she wouldn't learn much that way my sweet nobody does but that needn't interfere with your pleasure in teaching her it wouldn't she is quite young not much over twenty i should think so i shall be able to do whatever i like with her it isn't likely a girl of that age will have many plans and interests of her own as yet you must remember isabel that she probably will not look at life through your eyes as you seem to expect and you must not be disappointed if she doesn't she will look at life very much as i looked at it when i was her age replied isabel with a characteristic toss of her head you may know more about politics than i do my dear paul but you can't possibly know as much about girls 
thank heaven for that but i know a good deal about one woman and i think you make a mistake in expecting other people to be exactly like yourself because unfortunately they are not perhaps i am inclined to think too highly of my fellow-creatures replied isabel demurely but it is a good fault it is an absolutely charming fault as all yours are my darling said seaton kissing his wife but i must be off to the house invite your little indian girl by all means but don't be disappointed if she doesn't turn out to be as absolutely adorable as you are yourself because neither she nor anybody else possibly could thus it was settled that fabia vipart should come to stay with the paul seatons for the following season and isabel wrote out by the next mail to make all the necessary arrangements would she have written quite so glibly had she known all the trouble that the coming of fabia would involve perhaps not and yet if we were always prevented from doing anything for fear of possible consequences if we were always letting i dare not wait upon i would like the cat in the adage then not many a thing would be done when twere done and nothing would be done quickly End of chapter one